The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Uh, so now today we're going to have a look at the uh, uh, Ratapala Sutta, which uh, uh, is a uh, nice sutta which summarizes the Dhamma in a very nice way. Uh, and it's uh, again one of the suttas that I like to uh, teach on these retreats uh, because uh, it kind of gives a nice overview of what the Dhamma is about. And this particular sutta, uh, this uh, fellow called Ratapala, he becomes a monk because he heard these four summaries of the Dhamma. Yeah? So this was actually enough for him to go forth. And then he went forth and then he eventually he becomes an arahant. Yeah? And then he... Uh, uh, comes back to visit his parents after his uh, after becoming an arahant uh, and most of the sutta is about that meeting with his parents and then towards the very end of the sutta the meeting with a king this king is called king koravya and that is where the kind of real dhamma content is found in this sutta between the king a meeting between the king and ratapala so there's a long kind of story uh, before this uh, about how he goes forth and how he meets his parents and it's a very kind of uh, a very interesting and nice story uh, about uh, the meeting of the arahant with his parents uh, can you imagine what that is like when the arahant meets his parents uh, it's interesting <laughs> and it's kind of uh, it's a bit challenging that story because uh, the way he talks to his parents not how normally a kind of a son talks to his parents uh, yeah I don't know, you probably remember some of that story is where he comes back to his house and then uh, his parents, they pile up a big pile of gold, two big piles of gold, uh, and then they put his old wife between those two piles of gold and they put a curtain in front of the gold and the wife so he can't see it uh, and then they invite him for a meal. And when he sits down, they take away the curtain and then say, oh, all of this is yours. Uh, yeah, this is your old wife there and the two piles of gold. Uh, and then Ratapala is an arahant, it's too late. Yeah, he's not going to be... <laughs> enticed by the gold of his old wife uh, so he says to his father well the best thing to do is to take all that gold uh, take it to the river Ganges and dump it in the middle of the river Ganges uh, and his father is not amused uh, yeah <laughs> it's a very it's a fascinating story and uh, it seems uh, I don't know it seems almost uh, it's prob I don't know if it is uh, this really happened maybe it didn't happen I have no idea but uh, it's kind of uh, how you prob might expect uh, such things to happen, perhaps. Uh, so this then uh, uh, we're going to look at now is what happens after that. Uh, this is where the uh, 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 this Ratapala, he leaves his parents, then he goes into the a grove, a kind of a garden which belongs to the local king. And then this meeting between the king and Ratapala is what this sutta really is about. This is the, the real Dhamma content of the sutta. So um, and this is where we pick up <coughs> this sutta. This is found, from, by the way, in the middling sayings of the Buddha, the Majjhima Nikaya, sutta number 82. And if you wish to read that backstory, which is actually very, very nice, it has many other little aspects to it, uh, about how Ratapala becomes a monk, how he ha lies down on the ground and says, I will either die or I will become a monk. Yeah. And then, of course, eventually his parents, they let up and they allow him to become a monk because uh, it's better to have a, a son who is a monk than to have a son who is dead. Uh, 
So that's kind of what, what they what they reckon. Not all parents think that. Some people think it's better to have a son who is dead than to have a son who is monk. But uh, the, the, the wise parents, they think it's better to have a son who is a monk than a son who is dead. Uh, so uh, anyway, so this is where it happens. Uh, uh, then King Kuravya addressed his gamekeeper thus. Good gamekeeper, tidy up the Migachira garden so that we may go to the pleasure, pleasure garden to see a pleasing spot. Mm. To, to go to enjoy the pleasure garden, to go and see a pleasing spot. It sounds a bit artificial to me. It's a strange way of saying, <laughs> putting things, but uh, anyway. Yes, sire, he replied. Uh, now, while he was tidying up the Migachira garden, the gamekeeper saw the venerable Ratapala seated at the foot of a tree for the day's meditation practice. Uh, when he saw him, he went to King Kuravya and told him, Sire, the Migachira garden has been tidied up. The clansman, Ratapala, or if you like, maybe a modern translation, or, or one of the translations, the gentleman, Ratapala, is one of the translations uh, used now, because these were kind of the uh, establishment in ancient India, the clansmen, the kulaputta, the kulas, the family, kind of the families were the est establishment of the ancient Indian society here. So maybe the gentleman Ratapala, yeah, something like that, is there, the son of the leading clan or family in this same Tulla Kotita, which is the town, uh, of whom you have always spoken highly. He is seated at the foot of a tree for the day's meditation practice. Uh, then, good gamekeeper, enough of the pleasure garden for today. Now we shall go to pay respects to that master Ratapala. Then saying, give away all the food that has been prepared there, King Kuravya had a number of state carriages prepared and mounted one of them accompanied by the other carriages. He drove out from Tulakotita with a full pomp of royalty to see the venerable Ratapala. He drove thus as far as the road was passable for carriages and then dismounted from his carriage and went forward on foot with the following of the most eminent officials to where the Venerable Ratapala was. He exchanged greetings with the Venerable Ratapala and when this courteous and amiable talk was finished he stood to one side and said, Here is an elephant rug, let the Master Ratapala be seated on it. So, um, an interesting, yeah, first of all, the Ratapala's meeting with his parents and now his meeting with the king. And uh, it's interesting how the ancient Indian society, everyone was interested in spiritual matters from the very top uh, of the hierarchy, the kings and everyone, all the way down to the most simple people. Uh, it was a very broad kind of movement of spirituality in ancient India. So it's fascinating to see how the kings would kind of meet with the arahants, yeah, in this way here. Yeah. And uh, so that is um, one of the um, uh, things about this society which makes it so interesting here. Yeah. And you will notice here little, small little points that are fascinating. This is a standard passage that you find in the suttas. Uh, the idea that the king or the person traveled by road as far as it is possible by carriages, you know, by any vehicle really, and then you dismount, and then you walk on foot the very last part to meet the person that you want to meet. Uh, and the purpose of this is to always to remind us that uh, the ascetics, the monastics, uh, they lived 
far away from civilization, far away from roads. It wasn't easily accessible to get to their monasteries. Yeah, So you had to walk on foot the very last bit uh, before you could meet someone. Even the kings had to walk on foot. Yeah, And then uh, you could meet uh, the uh, king as a uh, meet the, m the monks or the nuns perhaps uh, uh, w w once you had walked the last bit on foot uh, and then you have the courteous and amiable talk yeah how are you good morning yeah um how how is your health are you are you are you doing well you're doing well okay now sit down and i give you down my talk something like that uh, and uh, so they have a kind of a nice talk and this is important yeah it's important to make people relax and feel at ease how can you listen to the Dhamma unless you are relaxed and you are at ease? You can't. It doesn't really go in. Uh, so it's important that you feel, you know, you can actually uh, chill instead of actually just uh, feeling tense or whatever. You can imagine if you meet an arahant, you might feel a bit tense. The Buddha has a big reputation, even in ancient India. And uh, when you meet people like that, it's easy to feel a bit maybe unsure about yourself. What's going to happen when I meet these uh, uh, very special people uh, and uh, you may know what it feels like sometimes you may get someone come maybe coming even here to the bsv uh, and you may be i feel a bit unsure on how you're supposed to behave uh, and whether you're kind of doing the right thing and you feel a bit sort of you know you can't really relax properly uh, and of course then the dhamma doesn't go in in the same way uh, but when you're really relaxed and the mind is just clear uh, and open that is when the dhamma really goes in uh, and of course, when you are around an arahant, it doesn't take long before you relax. Uh, you might feel a tense a little bit, uh, but after a while, when you feel the kindness, you feel the gentleness, you, ha you hear the amiable talk, uh, after a while, you can breathe really easily and just relax and sit back. And then uh, uh, the Dhamma really starts to hit home, yeah, and really starts to make a difference. Uh, so these little things matter. Yeah, These little pointers in the suttas, they are there for a purpose. Uh, People, uh, you know, these are all, even though it is not the word of the Buddha, the Buddha didn't say, you know, we had amiable and courteous talk. This is added by later redactors of the text. They still serve a purpose. Uh, and uh, so it's good to kind of get the idea behind these things and why, why it is there. Uh, so, and then uh, you have uh, little things like here is an elephant drug. Let's let Master Ratapala be seated on it. Uh, why is that in there? Why is that included in there? Well, I guess it's a curt part of the courteous and amiable talk, perhaps. Uh, yeah, but uh, also it's a bit weird. An elephant drug is kind of, it's, I think, is pretty much the only place in the suttas where someone has said, "Here is an elephant drug. Please be seated." Uh, it's not a common occurrence in the suttas. Uh, so, uh, and to me, some of these things they are there quite possibly because they uh, refer back to real occurrences. Yeah, This is actually what happened, uh, and that is why it is included in the sutta. Because it seems kind of pointless otherwise. Well, here is an elephant drug. Oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, um, why <laughs> what is the point? And it's kind of just added because it actually happened, and it shows kind of the friendliness, perhaps, of the encounter or something like that. Anyway, whatever. It's just a minor thing. But the suttas are full of these little weird little things that uh, you wonder why they were included what it has to do with the dhamma or whatever uh, and sometimes you get the feeling that these are actually real things historical events it's almost hard to explain them in other in uh, any other way and again this gives you a feeling that uh, you know these suttas are real these are actually real meetings between people uh, 
because when you meet people all kind of weird stuff happens yeah it's not predictable and kind of you know certainly something happens and you don't really know what's going on this is kind of typical for the real world it's kind of a bit random a bit out of control and and this is what what happens uh, so um anyway i don't know if that makes any sense to you but anyway that's my my take take away from that uh, and then uh, venerable ratapala he replies there is no need great king sit down i am sitting on my own mat so he has a sitting mat you see venerable nisarana he's very diligent he uses a sitting mat i'm i'm a slack monk i don't have a sitting mat so um, this is the difference between the two of us but the sitting mat mostly is useful when you sit on the ground yeah because it protects your robes and that sort of thing here so um okay king kuravya sat down on a seat made ready and said master ratapala there are these four kinds of loss because they have undergone these four kinds of loss some people here shave off their hair and beard put on the ochre robes and go forth from the home life into homelessness or houselessness perhaps what are the four they are loss through old age loss through illness loss of wealth and loss of relatives and what is the loss through old age here master atapala someone is old aged burdened with years advanced in life come to the last stage he considers thus i am old aged burdened with years advanced in life come to the last stage it is no longer easy for me to acquire unacquired wealth or to add to the wealth i already have suppose i shave off my hair and beard put on the ochre robes not the yellow robes the ochre robes and go forth from home life into homelessness because he has undergone that loss through old age he shaves off his hair and beard puts on the ochre robes and goes forth from the home life into houselessness homelessness sounds like you're living under the bridge somewhere so i, I prefer houselessness perhaps this is called loss through old age but master atapala is now still young a black-haired young man endowed with the blessing of youth in the prime of life master atapala has not undergone any loss through old age what has he known or seen or heard that he has gone forth from the home life into houselessness so you get the feeling here that uh, sometimes when people go forth uh, yeah it is not always with the highest kind of uh, the purest kind of intentions uh, yeah okay well, i can't make any wealth anymore i'm getting old yeah body's falling apart i guess i might as well become a monk yeah what else am i going to do anyway so become a monk yeah <laughs> and sometimes people have these kind of um, motivations for going forth and it's not the purest kind of motivation yeah and you can see in ancient india this would have been a part of society how it was done people when they get old they will go forth and as you can see from the summary just before if you have are sick yeah or you have lost your wealth lost your relatives or whatever all of these things become the motivations for going forth they're not the ideal motivation so part of the point here is to show that the buddhist teaching is such yeah it actually gives you 
something far deeper than ordinary life can give you. Uh, this is kind of the whole point. Uh, so it doesn't matter whether you are young or old or healthy or unhealthy or whatever. Regardless, it is a good thing to go forth. Yeah. As soon as you are ready, as soon as you are 20 years old, that's the youngest age, that is the time to go forth. That's kind of the point here. Uh, because there's a far greater happiness and sense of meaning and fulfillment uh, to be had through this practice than you can possibly get through ordinary life. Uh, so this is like a kind of showing you the value of the Buddhist path. Uh, it is not just something that you do for some kind of, uh, you know, because you can't, well, life is kind of pointless anyway, might as well do something else. It's not kind of like that. It has a, a something profound going on. And the king kind of gets that because Ratapala is a, one such young person. And the king is wondering, what on earth is going on with you? What actually led you to go forth? Yeah. So this is exciting. Yeah. Now we're getting to what made Ratapala go forth. Uh, so when you see these uh, things yourself, we'll see what happens to you as a consequence. Uh, I know already, and I'm already kind of wearing these things. So now it's, now it's your turn to see what happens to you when you hear these four <laughs> things. Uh, so very exciting. Are you excited? Huh? Are you, yeah, <laughs> many of you will know the sutta already, so it's kind of. Uh, but uh, still, yeah, every time you read these teachings, this is a summary of the entire Dhamma. This is what the Dhamma really is about. Uh, yeah, it is a, just a chance to renew that understanding in a sense. Uh, anyway, so the king then carries on, uh, and what is the loss through sickness? Uh, here, Master Atapala, someone is afflicted, suffering, and gravely ill. Yeah, gravely ill. M maybe chronically ill or something. Gravely ill. I, I don't know how you can possibly go forth if you're gravely ill. But, uh, you know, you're kind of lying in bed with cancer. Oh, bro, please, I must go forth. Oh. <laughs> I'm not, not sure. Anyway, we kind of get the idea, I think, yeah. He considers thus, I am afflicted, suffering, and gravely ill. It is no longer easy for me to acquire unacquired wealth, etc. Perhaps I should go forth into houselessness. Because he has undergone the loss through illness, he does go forth from home life into houselessness. This is called loss through illness. But Master Atapala is free from illness and affliction. He possesses a good digestion that is neither too cool nor too warm, but medium. <laughs> Master Atapala has not undergone any loss through sickness. What has he known or seen or heard that he has gone forth from the home life into homelessness? So this uh, idea of possessing a kind of medium digestion... Uh, this is considered one of the benefits that you have, you know, that you, if, you could, if your digestion is too hot, it means you have a very high metabolism and you kind of, you, it's hard to live on one meal a day or, or two meals a day or whatever, not eating in the evening or at night, uh, yeah? So uh, that's considered bad. Or if it's too cool, I guess that means that, I don't know, probably digest too slowly or something. Uh, so the idea of a good digestion is one of the uh, factors actually mentioned also elsewhere in the suttas. Uh, that is a suitable additional um, thing to you know that is helpful for living the monastic life. Uh, so just letting you know what why that is there. It sounds sounds a little bit funny when you read it. Uh. So again, not perhaps the best uh, motivation for going forth. And what is the loss of wealth? Uh, here, Master Atapala, someone is rich of great wealth of great possessions. Uh, 
Gradually their wealth dwindles away. They consider thus, formerly I was rich, had great possessions and wealth. Gradually it all dwindled away, and it is no longer easy for me to acquire any new wealth. So maybe I should go forth into houselessness. Because he has undergone that loss of wealth, he does indeed go forth into houselessness. This is called the loss of wealth. But Master Atapala is the son of the leading family in this same Tulakotita. Master Atapala has not undergone any loss of wealth. What has he seen, or known, or heard that he has gone forth from the home life into houselessness? Yeah, sometimes you see in the suttas that people are so poor. Uh, this is ancient India and poverty was quite common. Uh, and sometimes they couldn't, um, they couldn't make a living. Yeah, they weren't able to kind of feed themselves or whatever. Uh, so they thought, yeah, these monks, you know, they go into town with the bowls, they get food and then they kind of chill on the nice kind of seat in the afternoon and the evening. Yeah, sounds it's pretty good. Uh, so maybe that's what we should do. Yeah, okay, let's do that. Uh, so again, not the highest kind of motivation. Uh, and uh, so these are kind of the problems. And this is one of the reasons why there is quite a number of rules for monastics, who can go forth and who can't, uh, just to ensure that you have the appropriate motivation when you go forth. And what is the loss of relatives? Here, Master Ratapala, someone has many friends and companions, uh, kinsmen and relatives. Uh, gradually, those relatives of his dwindle away. He considers thus, uh, formerly I had many friends and companions, kinsmen and relatives. Uh, gradually those relatives of mine have dwindled away. It is no longer easy for me to acquire wealth, uh, so maybe I should go forth into houselessness. Uh, and then eventually he does that. Uh, this is called the loss of relatives. Uh, but Master Atapala has many friends and companions, kinsmen and relatives in this same Kula Tortita, Kula Tulla Kotita. Master Atapala has not undergone any loss of relatives. What has he known, or seen, or heard that he has gone forth from the home life into houselessness? So there must be something about the Dhamma that is really profound. There must be something really going on here. Some kind of insight into some larger meaning or purpose of life, something that is beyond the ordinary things uh, that made someone like Atapala go forth. Uh. Master Atapala, these are the four kinds of loss. Uh, because they have undergone these fourth, people go forth into houselessness. Uh. Master Atapala has not undergone any of these. Uh. What has he known or seen uh, that he has gone forth into houselessness? Uh. Great King, there are these four summaries of the Dhamma that have been taught by the Blessed One who knows and sees, accomplished and fully awakened. Knowing and seeing and hearing them, I went forth from the home life into houselessness. What are the four? First one, life in any world is unstable. It is swept away. This is the first summary of the Dhamma taught by the Blessed One who knows and sees, uh, accomplished and fully awakened, knowing and seeing and hearing this, uh, I went forth from the home life into house houselessness. Uh, Aduva 
loco, yeah, loco, the world here. Again, the world can often be understood as anything really can be the external world, but also your world of experience. Uh, it is unstable, aduva, and aduva here is a synonym for anicca. They are used and used together in the suttas in the, to kind of give this idea of things being inherently uh, out of control, unstable, impermanent, uh, 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 unreliable. I like the idea of unreliable. Yeah, unreliability is something that is very uh, bad generally in our lives. If people are unreliable or whatever, it feels terrible, and you can't really trust someone who is unreliable. Well, here you cannot trust the world. Yeah, the world is inherently unreliable. Your experience of things is unreliable. You don't know what's going to happen uh, next. Uh, and this is really problematic, this unreliability or instability of the world. Uh, it is inherent, it is very problematic because we all depend on reliability. Uh, we depend on this because of our attachments, uh, our holding on to the world. Uh, and remember, it is impossible to avoid attachments. We have to attach uh, you can't avoid that to some extent, of course, as you practice the spiritual path, those attachments get reduced. Uh, yeah, And this is kind of the beauty of the spiritual path. You do become more independent after a while. Uh, but all along this path, at least until you are a stream enter, uh, you're going to attach to some extent. Uh, you can't avoid that. The reason you can't avoid it is because of the sense of self. Uh, the sense of self must have a content to it. Uh, and the first attachment is always to the content of that sense of self. Uh, if you take your sense of self to be the doer, the, uh, uh, the um, person, certain feelings, uh, certain perceptions that you have, uh, you have to attach to that because you take it to be the you. Yeah, You have no choice in the matter. So the sense of self is a real problem. Uh, and then that sense of self not being satisfied with kind of identifying with inner things, uh, it also goes into the world and attaches to things outside. Why? Because external things often relate to our inner life. Uh, yeah? Your sense of identity relates to our social uh, position in the world, our social identity and all of these external things. And for that reason, our sense of attachment always goes into the world as well. It is not limited to internal uh, perceptions and internal factors of our life. Always goes out. Uh, so once you have a sense of self, attachment is a consequence of that. Uh, and if you attach and you live in the world where everything is unstable, uh, well, the result is going to be suffering. Uh, yeah, it is bleeding obvious when you think about it. Of course it's going to be suffering. Uh, yeah. I, uh, so, uh, and this is the problem with this instability. Uh, every time, you know, I like the idea of standing on a carpet that nature is going to come and pull out at any time. Uh, a carpet, a loose carpet on the floor, you think you're standing, oh, I'm solid, yeah, everything is fine, I don't have to worry. And then nature comes and whoop, pulls out the carpet. Uh, and then you stumble, you fall over. And when you fall over, you hurt yourself. Uh, yeah, this is the instability of the world. Uh, it's like the ground is always shaking, uh, shaking a little bit. That's the instability of the world. Uh, and sometimes the big earthquake comes. It's it kind of really insta unstable. Uh, and then people fall over and things get destroyed. And then the suffering arises because of that. Uh, so the world is inherently unstable. Uh, and this is uh, uh, something that we need to take into account on deciding what our values should be. Uh, 
And then again, you move towards those things that are not so unstable. Yeah? This is the beauty of the Dhamma. Dhamma is not just about seeing the dukkha, it's also about seeing the solution to that dukkha. And the solution is moving towards those things that are less unstable. Yeah? And these are the qualities of our heart, the qualities, the psychological things, rather than uh, the material things of the world, or even the identities of the world. Uh, but the deep psychological things that we create by living, uh, in a good way, essentially. Yeah. So everything is unstable. The world, yeah, our experience is swept away. Yeah. It's like we are moving on, and everything get everything gets swept away. Yeah, yeah it's like we are. There's a simile elsewhere in the suttas of the life being like a mountain current. Uh, a current that swiftly goes down the mo mountainside uh, and it drags a lot of flotsam with it as it goes down the mountainside. Yes, this is all the casualties that we kind of take with us with our attachments and everything. Uh, and life just drives on, driven by craving, uh, driven by all of these things, uh, yeah, and uh, driven by the inherent instability of the world. Uh, and fast, just moving on and on and on. There's no way you can stop. You can't really get off uh, except by practicing the spiritual path. Uh, that's really the only way. Uh. So this is, uh, again, it kind of moves you, it changes your ideas of what matters in life, uh, and your values and everything uh, become different as a consequence. Uh. So let's go on to the next one. Uh. Life in any world has no shelter and no protector. Uh. This is the second summary of the Dhamma taught by the Blessed One who knows and sees. And this is like a kind of harsh, harsh reality almost. Yeah, we we all want some kind of shelter and protector in the world. We want some some way of feeling that there must be some safety somewhere, somewhere we can go to, kind of you know hide, hide and kind of you know get <laughs> get out of trouble. Uh, and there are like temporary shelters. That's why we have homes or, or houses. We live in a house because that gives us a degree of shelter, of course. Uh, and in Buddhism, there is a degree of shelter and protector in the Dhamma. But the Dhamma itself, remember, it is only a shelter insofar as you practice according to the Dhamma. It's not the Dhamma itself that is a shelter. It is how you apply it in your life that actually makes it a shelter. Here. But uh, the, the deeper meaning of this, and here the idea of not, the not being a protector, uh, the, the word for protector here is... Uh, is um, abhisara and abhisara comes uh, is related to the word isara in pali and isara is a word which means like god basically yeah so when brahma for example uh, you know thinks that he is the kind of the at the top of the universe he calls himself the isara the lord of the whole universe uh, and this is very similar to the way isara may be used in a theistic religion, a the theistic religion where you have a creator god yeah, at the top of the whole world. That is the isara, the lord of the universe, uh, the creator of the universe. And here the Buddha, is, not the Buddha, but Apala is saying there is no such thing here. There is no one outside of us that can protect us, uh, that can look after us. Yeah? He's basically saying that all the people who pray to God, please look after me here. He's basically saying it's a waste of time. There's no one listening at the other end. Yeah, you're praying, but there's no one there. And, you know, this is the problem with being a 
Christian, and I, you know, I don't, I don't want to put down these other religions. There are lots of good people in other religions out there. Uh, my point is, this is the Buddhist outlook yeah, that actually there is no one who listens to you when you pray here. Yeah, yeah. and of course, if you ask people in Christianity and you'd ask them, well, why do you believe in this Creator God in the first place? Uh, and uh, they actually will not be able to give you a satisfactory answer. Uh, the reason they will say, well, there are many other people who believe in it, other people, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of had this experience of God, you know, but if you ask them, well, what exactly was that experience of God? And they will not be able to give a satisfactory explanation of that experience. They may have some joy, they may have had some meditation or whatever, but it doesn't really prove the existence of God. It just proves the existence of a particular experience. So it is, you know, it, 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 it is always this danger when you pray to something that actually it may not be there. And even if there is something there, what is it? What is this God? Yeah? And this is kind of very interesting because when you know a little bit about Christianity and the Christian scriptures, uh, sometimes you wonder whether you really want to pray to this God. Yeah? So there are some aspects of this God that are very nice. But there are other aspects of the Christian God, certainly the way the Christian God is portrayed in the Old Testament, that is very repulsive. It's a God which is very harsh, cruel sometimes, yeah, asking people to kill their sons and that kind of thing. It's really strange. And you realize that the way that uh, the Christian God is portrayed uh, very often as all-loving, etc., doesn't fit all that well with how he, it's supposed to be portrayed in the Bible, which some Christians will say is the Word of God. There's a lot of problems with these things. Yeah. So after a while, you wonder, do I really want to put my life into the hands of something which is so uncertain and so unknown? Don't really know what it is. Yeah. So then you... Uh, uh, and it is far. So initially, it may be kind of scary to say there is no protector in the world. There's no shelter anywhere. It may be frightening because we all have this feeling it's nice to have a big mother or a big father who kind of looks after us. Yeah, we, I mean, it's, it, of course that is nice. But it may not be true. And eventually, when you, if you accept that and you withdraw kind of your uh, faith and belief in these kind of things, then actually it empowers you in a very beautiful way. Uh, because instead of allowing the world outside or these uncertainties, uh, to instead of relying on those things, uh, you start to rely on your own conduct, your own life, living in a good way, and you become the master of your own destiny. It empowers you. Yeah, Initially, you may feel scary, but actually in the end, it empowers you when you start to take charge of your own life instead. Uh, and this is what Buddhism is about. It's about taking charge of your own life. It's about understanding that when you live well, that leads to happiness. Yeah? It's about knowing that you will eventually decide your own destiny. And maybe destiny is the wrong word, but you will decide in which direction you are heading in the future. Yeah? It's up to each one of us. Uh, and actually, it is very empowering and a very... Uh, and to me, a very wonderful thing that Buddhism is like this. Uh, instead of kind of uh, relying on something that is inherently unknowable and uncertain. So this is the idea of no abyssara. Yeah, there's not nothing out there. And what is interesting is that even in many Buddhist circles, uh, you will find that there are Buddhists around the world who pray to gods. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the reason why Buddhists do that is because in the suttas they often talk about other gods uh, and they talk about how you know some some 
in a few occasions it talks about even how you should give offerings to the gods mentioned in a couple of places in the suit as a very minor and marginal teaching in the suttas, but it does occur in a few places. And I think it's quite likely to have been influenced by the Hindu culture or the Brahmanical culture of ancient India. And for that reason, it got in there. I don't think it is really a teaching that the Buddha wants us to follow. Why? Well, this is one reason why not. Yeah, This is a more real Buddhist teachings, whereas these other things are found in obscure places in the suttas are very marginal uh, so it is important, even for Buddhists, it's important to remember this. Yeah, Instead of kind of relying on these Hindu gods yeah, that are there and kind of mixing up Hinduism with Buddhism and asking for favors from these gods, actually, it's probably not going to work. We shouldn't rely on that. The more you rely on that, the less seriously you're going to take the Buddha's message and actually practice in the right way. So forget about those gods. Yeah. Can they help you? Can they not? Maybe they can in certain circumstances. I, I don't know. I can't really say. But the point is, it is unreliable. We cannot rely on it in the long run. The gods are fickle. The gods are uncertain. The gods are unreliable. Yeah, they d You don't know. They're just like human beings. Human beings are unreliable. The gods are also going to be unreliable. Remember, they're just like you. Yeah, they're just The devas are just uh, glorified human beings. Yeah, so because they are glorified human beings, they're going to be unreliable, just like human beings. One day they help you, one day they're not. One day they say, Oh, yeah, well, I couldn't be bothered today. I've got more important things to do, like playing around in the Deva Loka. Yeah, and uh, then they, they, they will just ignore you. Yeah? Or they may say, Yeah, your, your conduct isn't good enough. I'm not going to look after you, or, or whatever. And uh, this is kind of the, the point. Uh, so this, this is not to be relied upon according to the, the suttas. Uh, but it is empowering at the end, and this is kind of the point with this, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. No shelter, no protector here. Number three. Life in any world has nothing of its own. One has to leave all and pass on. This is the third summary of the Dhamma, taught by the Blessed One, who knows and sees. And I've talked about this quite a bit already huh? yeah uh, you have nothing you have nothing that is your own really it is all the borrowed goods uh, and when you die everything has to be left behind uh, it is another kind of it's kind of harsh yeah the way it is put is kind of in your face uh, but we know it is true it is obviously true huh? and because it is obviously true we might as well face up to it the sooner the better huh? The more we face up to it, the sooner the better, the more we can kind of uh, arrange our life in such a way that it doesn't become such a massive problem for us when eventually we are faced with this reality. Uh, yeah? So we ensure that we live in a way that we actually have something that we can fall back upon, something we can take with us when eventually we get to that point uh, and we are ready to let go. Uh, yeah, and the, your readiness to let go, you will find out when you do a bit of meditation, do you become peaceful or not? The more peaceful you become, the more ready you are to let go uh, when this point of life eventually comes. Uh, and of course, it has to come eventually. Uh, one has to leave all and pass on. So make sure you take that uh, all those good qualities with you. Uh, you build those up during this life uh, and you carry that with you into the future. Uh. I'm gonna, not going to say more about that because we have talked about this quite a, a lot already here. 
The fourth one, life in any world is incomplete, insatiate, a slave of craving. This is the fourth summary of the Dhamma taught by the Blessed One who knows and sees, accomplished and fully awakened, knowing and seeing and hearing them. I went forth from the home life into homelessness. So uh, life in any world is incomplete. Yeah, there's the sense that something is missing psychologically. That's why we are running around trying to fill that up. Uh, this is what craving is all about, trying to fill up that void, that hollowness inside, uh, this need for something more, whether it is uh, through relationships or through whatever it is in this world. Uh, this it, uh, eternal craving, ever renewing itself, driving us on, uh, making us like slaves. Uh, yeah, this is kind of the powerful thing here craving makes you into a slave you are the slave of a craving and this is almost like reversing how we normally think about life normally we think about life that we are not the slave but we are the masters we crave and then being the masters we then go out into the world and fulfill that craving yeah this is our choice to fulfill our craving this is how most people think about it yeah yeah i'm gonna do i'm gonna act i'm gonna make sure my cravings are satisfied in the world that's how we think about it but actually from a buddhist point of view it's the other way around craving is in charge you are the slave yeah when craving says run here, you says yes, master. That's what you say, and then you run accordingly, not understanding that you are just being restless, not understanding that you are actually in a state of suffering when you are craving, because craving is a sense of lack. Craving is a sense of being at some distance from where you want to be, and every time you are some distance from where you want to be, then that by definition is suffering, because you uh, you are striving towards something else. And elsewhere in the suttas, the Buddha says that restlessness is the same. Restlessness is like the slave driver, yeah, who drives you around. Run, walk faster, yeah, get it, get the job finished, get the results, yeah, and then carry on like this forever after. And that's what the restlessness tells you. And craving and restlessness are obviously very closely related to each other. Yeah. So you're not in charge. Craving is in charge. Craving makes you run around. You never find that satisfaction that craving tells you you will find. It is only by dropping craving, by finding some inner, true inner contentment where you are no longer incomplete, but you feel fulfilled inside. That is where that real happiness and contentment happens. And then craving is gone. You're no longer the slave to craving, but you are in charge and craving is kind of uh, uh, just dissipates and, and disappears into the background uh, or disappears completely even. Uh. The reason why this is so hard to see is because very often, as I mentioned before, we identify with the doer. I am the doer. I am the creator. I am the originator. I make the world. I create things for myself and others. Uh, and that is a very powerful identification in anyone in all human beings uh, yeah and because a cr a, a, that um, identity is so strong this is one of the reasons why we also rejoice in craving because craving allows us to be the doers and the creators in, in our life uh, craving is what pushes us on uh, and, and, and makes us into uh, you know to to basically fulfill that sense of identity which means to it means to be a doer and a creator in this world uh, 
So that's part of the problem. In fact, the Buddha goes so far in one of the suttas in the Majjhima the Chachaka Sutta, Majjhima 146 or something like that, 46, 47, something like that. Uh, and where he says that we actually identify directly with craving itself. Uh, yeah, I am the one who craves. Yay, craving, that's me. I am the craver. As if it is something good. Yeah, We identify with Dukkha. That's what the Buddha is saying here. Uh, Craving is dukkha. We identify with dukkha in a very, quite a coarse form even, uh, when you identify with craving itself. Uh. So uh, this is why it is hard. Yeah, This is why it is difficult to see. Uh, but again, there is this way out of this, and that is always the good news. Uh, and uh, the way is actually not that hard to practice uh, as long as you commit and you persevere on the path. Uh. Insatiate, yeah, the idea of uh, we're going to see in a second what that means. But basically what it means is that craving can never be satisfied through pursuing the objects of the craving. Uh, even if you have everything in the world, uh, yeah, if everything is yours, uh, you would still not be satisfied. Uh, and that's my theory is that, uh, you know, the, in physics these days, they have this idea of the multiverse. Uh, have you heard about the multiverse? Uh, yeah, The idea that you know, it's not only one universe, but it's many universes. Uh, every time there is a... That, you know, there is some kind of quantum event, and quantum events are just continuous. Uh, then the universe splits up into two parallel universes. So there's literally almost like an infinite number of universes. Uh, and what created those infinite number of universes? Uh, I say it was craving here. Yeah, people not people didn't have enough. One universe is not enough. We need more universes. Uh, and craving said, "Yay, more universes!" Okay, that's how it got created. Uh, Anyway, that's just a theory. Yeah, I don't know if that's really true or not, but that's uh, that's how they came came around. I think one universe is enough. Uh, but uh, if you really owned the whole universe and it was all yours, uh, would you be satisfied? Of course not. Uh, so there's you know there is some grounds for saying that craving created the uh, uh, the multiverse, not the uni universe. Uni is one, right? Uni, multi, many, multiverse. So that's the multiverse. Anyway, don't take that too seriously. I'm kind of just messing around a bit. I hope, hope you're okay with that. So um, that is my commentary on those four. So now let us carry on and uh, we will see how Ratapala uh, explains these things in a bit more detail. I'm just going to uh, read this out fairly quickly because uh, um, just to kind of see the, how this whole thing carries on now. And uh, so Ratapala says, Great King, these are the four summaries of the Dhamma that I have been taught by the Blessed One who knows and sees, accomplished and fully awakened. Knowing and seeing and hearing them, I went forth into houselessness. And then the King says, Master Ratapala said, Life in any world is unstable. It is swept away. Uh, how should the meaning of that statement be understood? What do you think, great king? When you were 20 or 25 years old, were you an expert rider of elephants, an expert horseman, an expert charioteer, an expert archer, an expert swordsman, strong in thighs and arms, sturdy, capable in battle? When I was 20 or 25 years old, Master Atapala, I was indeed an expert rider of elephants, and all of these things, strong in thighs and arms, sturdy, capable in battle. Sometimes I wonder if I had supernormal powers then. I do not see anyone who could equal me in strength. 
What do you think, great king? Are you now as strong in thighs and arms, as sturdy and as capable in battle? No, Master Atapala, now I am old, aged, burdened with years, advanced in life, come to the last stage. My years have turned eighty. Sometimes I mean to put my foot here, and I put my foot somewhere else. Great king, it was on account of this that the blessed one who knows and sees, accomplished and fully awakened, said, Life in any world is unstable, it is swept away. And when I knew and saw and heard this, I went forth from the home life into homeless houselessness. It is wonderful, Master Atapala, it is marvelous how well that has been expressed by the Blessed One who knows and sees, uh, accomplished and fully awakened. Uh, life in any world is indeed unstable, it is swept away, it is indeed so. Master Atapala, there exists in this court elephant troops and cavalry and chariot troops and infantry here. Uh, which will serve to subdue any threats to us. Now, Master Atapala said, Life in any world has no shelter and no protector. How should the meaning of that statement be understood? What do you think, great king? Do you have a chronic ailment? I have a chronic wind ailment, Master Atapala. Sometimes my friends and companions, kinsmen and relatives, stand around me thinking, Now King Kuravya is about to die. Now he is about to die. What do you think, great king? Can you command your friends and companions, your kinsmen and relatives? Come, my good friends and companions, my kinsmen and relatives, all of you present, share this painful feeling, so that I may feel less pain. Or do you have to feel that pain yourself alone? I cannot command my friends and companions, my kinsmen and relatives thus, Master Atapala, I have to feel that pain alone. Great King, it was an account of this that the Blessed One who knows and sees, accomplished and fully awakened, uh, said, Life in any world has no shelter and no protector. Uh, and when I knew and saw and heard this, uh, I went forth from the home life into houselessness. Uh, so this is a bit like being... Uh, uh, being... Um, uh, affected by karma, by the vipaka of your past actions. Yeah, There's only one person who is affected by uh, your own actions in the past, by that vipaka and the pala, the fruits and results. Uh, and that, of course, is you. Uh, there is no way of kind of uh, getting out of those uh, bad actions that we have done. Uh, and we all have to experience the results of those actions ourselves. Uh, and it doesn't matter who you pray to or who you go to or anything like that. Uh, Kamavipaka is just one of the laws of the universe, according to Buddhism. And this is how the universe unfolds, or life unfolds, uh, according to the nature of these things. Uh, it is wonderful, Master Atapala. It is marvelous how well this has been expressed by the Blessed One who knows and sees, accomplished and fully awakened. Uh, life in any world has no shelter and no protector. It is indeed so. Master Atapala, there exists in this court abundant gold coins and bullion stored away in vaults and lofts. Now Master Atapala said, life in any world has nothing of its own. One has to leave all and pass on. 
How should the meaning of that statement be understood? What do you think, great king? You now enjoy yourself provided and endowed with the five kinds of sensual pleasures. In other words, the five kinds is through the five senses, yeah? Uh, sights and sounds, etc. But will you be able to have it of the life to come? Let me likewise enjoy myself provided and endowed with these same five cords of sensual pleasures. So here you can see that the five kinds of sensual pleasures are actually objects, yeah? Because this is what the king owns. Or will others take over this property while you have to pass on according to your actions? I cannot have it thus of the life to come, Master Atapala. On the contrary, others will take over this property while I shall have to pass on according to my actions. Great King, it was an account of this that the Blessed One who knows and sees, accomplished and fully awakened, said, Life in any world has nothing of its own. One has to leave all and pass on. And when I knew and saw and heard this, I went forth into houselessness. It is wonderful, Matadapala, it is wonderful how well expressed this has been by the Blessed One, etc., etc., now, Master Atapala said, life in any world is incomplete, insatiate, the slave of craving. How should the meaning of that statement be understood? What do you think, great king? Do you reign over the rich Kuru country? Yes, Master Atapala, I do. What do you think, great king? Suppose a trustworthy and reliable man came to you from the east and said, Please know, great king, that I have come from the east, and there are so a large country, powerful and rich, very populous and crowded with people. There are plenty of elephant troops there, plenty of cavalry, chariot troops and infantry. There's plenty of ivory there, plenty of gold coins and bullion, both unworked and worked, and plenty of women for wives. With your present forces you can conquer it. Conquer it, then, great king." What would you do in that case, great king? We would conquer it and reign over it, Master Atapala. Of course, if you can capture a country, of course, if you are a king, you will capture it. Yeah, It's all bleeding obvious you're going to go to war and capture the country. Everyone knows that. So what do you think, great king? Suppose a trustworthy and reliable man came to you from the west, from the north, from the south, from across the sea and said... Please know, great king, that I have come from across the sea, and they are so a large country, powerful and rich. Conquer it then, great king. What would you do? Oh, we would conquer that too, yeah, and reign over it, Master Atapala. And suppose another man came from across the universe and says there is a galaxy over there, yeah, which is full of people and aliens. Would you conquer those aliens? Of course, would we conquer those aliens too? One galaxy is not enough. We need at least two galaxies, maybe, maybe more. And eventually that's how the multiverse comes into being. Great King, it was an account of this that the Blessed One who knows and sees, accomplished and fully awakened, said, Life in any world is incomplete. Insatiate. Yeah, insatiate means no satisfaction. It's like that uh, m old song by uh, the Rolling Stones. Yeah, can't get no satisfaction. That was a. Uh, probably he read the suttas and he wrote that song afterwards. <laughs> so the slave of craving. And when I knew and saw and heard this, uh, I went forth from home life into houselessness. Uh, 
It is wonderful, Master Atapala. It is marvelous how well that has been expressed by the Blessed One who knows and sees, uh, accomplished and fully awakened. Uh, life in any world is incomplete. Uh, without satisfaction, insatiate the, the slave of craving. It is indeed so. Okay. What do you think? <laughs> it's quite nice, isn't it? I, I really love that little suit. It kind of summarizes so many aspects of the Dhamma in a nice way. So uh, anyway, so let's. Uh, it's just exactly ten o'clock. Yeah, I don't know how how this happens. Very often it comes exactly ten, and it comes to the end. It's kind of handy. So uh, we have a few more hours together. So keep on enjoying yourself. Have a nice lunch, uh, and we'll see you back again at two o'clock.